Welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. Uh, and this is another episode in the series Spectrum Analysis entitled Loneliness versus Being Alone. So I've been thinking a little bit about this in light of the Victoria's second shutdown. Yay, second shutdown. And I guess sort of my experiences with the, the lockdown. So I am quite aware that I'm not the most sociable person. And I have always felt that at the end of a workday, I feel tired, not because of the effort of work necessarily, but just because of sometimes having to interact with people and, you know, putting on the mask and trying to be a normal person. But it was interesting with the first lockdown, and certainly even more so with the second lockdown, how much I realised that I I seem to get this sort of incidental socialising. I get my socialising fix from being at work and from seeing people on a sort of minimal basis. But as soon as that all went away, I actually started feeling really alone, really isolated, which I'm sure a lot of us are experiencing during coronavirus. Um, but I guess it sort of made me think about that balance. You know, when you do have autism, you there are times when being alone is preferable. And that could be for a variety of reasons. For me, it's because being alone means I don't have to think about other people. It means I can just kind of be on my own, with my own thoughts. I don't have to consider how other people are feeling or how I'm acting around them. And it's just a lot simpler. Or if I feel overwhelmed with my emotions, I need to be alone as well. But I guess it's about finding that balance on any given day, depending on your needs. Yeah, I think um, the, the lockdown, as I think I've said before, like the lockdown for me is I am less alone, whereas the lockdown for you is you are more lonely. Hmm. Um, but it's also something the kids have struggled with in general about the idea of, um, being alone, being something they try to avoid and they refer to it as loneliness, but really it's just being alone. Um, and they take comfort from having someone just in their presence at certain times. And they're kind of lucky because they have each other. So often they can, you know have each other to just sort of be there doing a similar thing, like watching iPad or something. But also sometimes if the other person, if the other one is doing something else, like having a shower, then they'll want to be with one of us so that they're not technically alone. Um, But I've always wondered if they felt actual loneliness or whether they were misusing the term lonely to mean just the act of being alone. Yeah, and I, I guess I question what they're actually getting out of having us present. Because I know with Jake, Jake will be reading a book and he won't want to read a book on his own. Like, he'll just be in the room next to you, which is all well and good, except I'm a very noisy person. I watch lots of TV and, and do lots of things. And so, in order for me to uh, be there for him to prevent this so-called loneliness, it, it's kind of restrictive on my behavior, you know? Yeah, it's because he wants the world to suit him as well. Yeah. Like, it's not just that he wants to read a book next to us while we're watching television. He wants to read a book in a quiet room that we are also in. Yeah. I think Jake has... a Actually, both of them, both Jake and Matt, seem to have that kind of similar thing that I do, which is that they tend to want to be alone when they're feeling overwhelmed. Or actually, with, with Matt especially, I think that he, he seems to have this remarkable concept for shame, which I don't remember us ever teaching him about but he's quite he, he often behaves quite sh- shamefully about his being sad or being angry which i find odd because we've never discouraged that from him yeah he does seem to feel a lot of shame and be ashamed um i don't know like when it comes to 
completely unacceptable behavior. I guess there is a bit of parenting that creates shame. Like you kind of want them to feel bad about like truly unacceptable behavior, like hurting people. So I guess parenting does create some level of shame. Mm. Um, But I think I've also talked about recently in one of the other podcasts, the idea of the, the world has taught Jake to now be ashamed of being sad in a way that kind of snuck up on me. Mm. That he is... Some, something, through maybe some sort of osmosis, has taught him to be ashamed of showing sadness, which he never used to feel. Like, he was quite comfortable expressing how he truly felt. And that was one of um, the glorious things about him, that if he's happy, he is you know it. And if he's sad, you know it. Mm. Um, So I feel like I've lost something there and it's not something I would have shamed out of him because it's something I appreciated about him. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't know. So I I guess in the times when he does isolate himself, I I actually feel... I I get conflicted because on the one hand, I can understand why he'd want to be alone. But on the other hand, I don't want it to be a signal that he should be hiding himself away. You know? I know, like, as the, you know... Probably the primary disciplinarian. Like, they don't need a lot of discipline because they are very well behaved. But the smallest criticism creates quite a large reaction. And I think that that has, in a way, been a benefit in that I don't have to do much to make sure they've got the message. Mm. Like, it, like, one of the things that is, like... um an issue sometimes with autistic kids and discipline is that because they have sensory issues, especially around noise, that if you actually yell at them, they don't understand your words. They're too fixated on how uncomfortable the noise is. So I know that um, on the few occasions that I have yelled or dealt with them after you've yelled, Sometimes I just ask them, why did it happen? What were you doing wrong? And they actually don't know. They just know that an uncomfortable sensation has occurred, which is this, the volume, without being able to take in the understanding of why it happened or what the person was trying to say. Um, which I, like, through my teacher training, I kind of had already trained myself long before I was a father, to not raise my voice unless it was dangerous. Mm. So as a drama teacher, if a kid was doing something just like talking to a friend, I'm not going to raise my voice. But if a kid is about to electrocute themselves, then I'll raise my voice and it has more of an effect Mm. because if they kind of got sensitized to, oh, Mr. Evans is yelling again, they're not paying as much attention. Yeah. Whereas if Mr. Evans, like, they haven't heard Mr. Evans yell ever, and then one day I suddenly yell, they're more likely to stop what they're doing and go, what? And then that will stop them from being in physical danger. And that's something I brought into parenting. That, you know, if the kids are, you know, being rude, I'm not going to yell at them. But if they're about to run in front of a car, I might yell at them. And it actually makes them stop. Like, Mm -hmm. if I yell, stop they stop because they're like, why is dad yelling? This is actually a danger. So I I think that that's something that I brought from my teaching into um, 
into my parenting that's been kind of effective. I feel like we've got off topic. <laughs> we've got completely off topic, but hey, it's interesting nonetheless. See, I uh, I am a yeller by nature because I was my family are full of yellers. Like we had an intercom system in my old house, and we never used it because we just you know call out into the house and someone would hear eventually. So it actually took me a lot of practice to try and um, to resist the urge to get immediately angry and to really kind of process my own thoughts and feelings about whatever behavior I was trying to prevent. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think that was, that was a tough one for me to try and sort of, I, and it's funny because obviously I related, I'm, I, I, I recall not enjoying being yelled at as a kid and I having no memory of what I was being yelled about, but still, you know, you, you learn your behaviors from your parents, you model them, you mimic them and all of a sudden they just come out of your mouth without you even realizing you, you suddenly become your mother. So I, I get it. I get why it's an important skill to develop. Yeah, and I also remember, um, like, when I used to attend churches, there was a a lot of um, preachers and priests and stuff who would yell, not in an aggressive way, kind of just in a big way, but it always made me feel uncomfortable. And I remember, like, like, a pastor actually doing a sermon about how yelling was okay as a pastor, it was very weird. <laughs> <laughs> He'd obviously gotten some complaints and then he's like, well, this is me justifying it. Yeah, so he basically had his entire sermon, which was justifying the fact that he yells. <laughs> um, and I really, like, and it was a church I was kind of just visiting temporarily. But I was like, I really felt, like, I still feel like maybe I should have gone up and said, hey, like, some people have pasts. Yeah. Some people have situations where, like, a raised male voice is an issue and you can't just tell them not to have an issue. Mm. And, you know, I, d- I don't think at the time I would have gone up and said, so here's how autism is. <laughs> if you have an autistic person, it doesn't matter how excited about God you are when you're yelling mm. <laughs> or how on topic you believe you are. It's going to be uncomfortable for them to be here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have known to say that at the time. I think to tie it back to the original topic of being alone versus loneliness, uh, you know, there was a there was a metaphor that you and I kind of adapted. Well, I'm not saying you and I, you kind of adapted uh, from something I'd heard, which is the idea of a tap in a sink, right? So for people who are neurotypical, what happens is that uh, the world will will kind of, you know, will flood you with information, but a person who is neurotypical can control how much water is coming out of the tap. So they might only let a certain amount trickle through. But then the sink kind of filters it out. So they take what they they start filtering out the information, and whatever comes through the sink is already kind of filtered through. So it's easier to process the information. Whereas people who are neuroatypical turn the tap on full blast, and they can't actually don't know how to turn it off. And so what that means is that they're constantly processing information, every possible thing. But the problem is, there's no filter at the tap. The filter's in the sink hole. So by the time you get to that point. The filter may be too big, so it lets things through, or it might be kind of clogged up. And so you, it then leads to um, what's called emotional numbness. So it's what people often assume autism to be, that people with autism have no emotion, they have no feeling. But that's not the case. People with autism have a lot of strong emotions. The problem is they just don't know how to process all of it, not just the emotion itself, but the information that comes with it and how to process it in a way that's both logical and emotional. And I really get that. And that's, I think, a lot of 
reasons why being alone and having, you know, me time, which was a term that, you know, got became popularized in the, the noughties probably. I think me time is really important. Um, that so for people with autism, sometimes it is just important to let them be alone. You know, there's this real temptation that when someone isolates themselves, you want to run after them and solve their problems and be there for them. But actually, sometimes the better thing to do is to let them process things by themselves, have their alone time and give them their own opportunity to, you know, develop their own understanding of their problem and let them come to you before you start solving their problem. Yes. But it can be difficult when that person is your partner. <laughs> yes. When, when, you're, when your investment in the, in the person who's having that problem is difficult, it's, you, you know, you don't want them to be angry. You probably don't want them to be angry at you. Um, and you also might need their help, which I think is a problem that we've arrived, like that, you know, because we are parents of special needs kids and, you know, we have autistic tendencies slash autism ourselves, that sometimes we need both of us to deal with what's going on with the kids, which is hard if one of us is not dealing with the world. Yeah, but it, I mean, that kind of mismatch happens in any sort of relationship, realistically. But mm. yeah, I guess it's harder because with with autism, the emotions feel more extreme they feel like they're more intense and so if the way you know to deal with it if in a way that you know works for you does not suit everyone else then you got to figure out well whose priority is it because i know that if i try to go into a situation where i'm emotionally unbalanced and i'm not dealing with things properly i'll end up making a mistake or doing something stupid thus yeah the yelling it, it's finding the balance I guess, I guess in a way to bring it back to the so one person be- having some time alone might make the other person lonely. Yeah. Because the other person needs the support or help. And this might be true of the kids as well. If one of them, you know, gets upset about something and goes off to be alone and needs that alone time and needs to be left alone, then it might be hard on the other kid if they actually now feel abandoned and lonely because they're trying to give the space to the other one. Um, but also I think that happens to us and it might even happen between us and the kids sometimes. Like if one of us is, um, struggling, I know, I know there was a point late. It wasn't, I don't think it was late last year. I think it was late the year before where I was really struggling Hmm. and it was really hard on Matt because Matt not having access to give me hugs and making me feel better and doing like, he really does want to, you know, help me. So if I, you know, am you know, having panic attacks and, you know, feeling quite depressed and not having good mental health, which was the case because I was, I got run into. So I was in a car accident that was not at all my fault. Um, and it got me quite sh- shaken for a while there. Mm. And I know that you were trying to help the situation by giving me time away from the kids and giving me alone time so I could recover. But that caused a lot of distress for Matt because he wanted to come and hug me and make everything better because he, yeah, he was stressed out by the fact that I was uh, upset and unavailable. Like he, like maybe, you know, it's a control thing. Like he wanted, if he was doing something, then he felt like he could help me and therefore would be in control. Like, I'm not saying that he's like, he wasn't caring about me. Like, it was hmm. very much because he cared about me. But sometimes we get to the point where I would come away from my alone time and he would burst into tears because he was so distressed at being forced to not comfort me, not hug me, not help me. 
Um, so it can be very difficult balancing um, mental health between people. Like, and I know that like me and Matt have a lot of similarities, so I can probably see this. Like, um, it took me a long time to learn to leave you alone, <laughs> and mm. that there was no no benefit in trying to fix or control or comfort. Um, even though that was fighting my instincts and cause you know, he was six, maybe seven at the time. Yeah. <laughs> if I can't fight my instincts in my thirties, it's hard for a young child to find their instincts. Mm. Uh, so I completely get what was going on there, but it, it was in a way a situation where I kind of had to choose the selfish road of actually looking after myself so that I'd get better and be able to you know return to normal or compromise what is actually best for me in order to work out what's best for him but but half of the problem with people who are on the sort of level one or higher functioning of autism spectrum disorder is that a lot of energy is expended trying to do what's right for other people or trying to act within society's norms and I think that's can be, that can be really exhausting and ultimately you can't ever really make the perfect decision. Whatever decision you make will always come with good and bad. And so I, th- I, I think as, as, as tough as it was for Matt to be separated from you, and I, I do agree that a lot of it was about compassion and wanting to care for you, part of it was probably just access and routine, like he's just used to having you around and mm. he couldn't get that. Um, I think ultimately it was more valuable t- for you to look after yourself. And I, 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 yeah, I, I don't begrudge you for making the decision. I think you did the right thing for you and ultimately the right thing for them because when you have to try and be normal for so long, the not to mix up my metaphors here, but the dam bursts at some point. You know, you apply enough pressure... And or the sink to... overflows. The sink overflows. If you want to go let's, back to your metaphor. Let's tie it back. Let's tie it back right back to the original metaphor. <laughs> if too much water's going into the sink, more than going out the plug eventually it will overflow and yeah, melt down. Exactly. That's exactly right. So I, I think part of it, and this is going to be an episode where I think we'll talk about another time, is the idea of how much, whose responsibility is it to look after you as the individual with autism and whether you're the adult or the child, you know, is it that the world needs to change or is that the individual needs to change? Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, in, in these sort of situations, if you know that being alone is beneficial for you, and more importantly, if you can communicate that to the people around you and say, look, I just want to be alone for a little while. It's not about you. It's about me. You know, just leave me alone for a while and I'll come back to it. Then at least everyone's on the same page and everyone, even if they don't necessarily get what they want, they get what they need. Yes. But yeah, I, I, it can be very hard. I was thinking of a couple that we were talking to in like January this year who both have autistic traits. And the woman said, like, he didn't want to come to dinner, so I forced him to. And we basically said, you should have left him be alone. Like, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> like, why are you now surprised that he's annoyed at you because you keep chasing him down <laughs> and forcing him to have meals with everyone? Just let him take a meal off. Let him be alone when he says he wants to be alone. Mm. And then he'll come back. But if you keep chasing him down and forcing him to attend everything, then he's not going to want to... He's going to keep wanting that alone time that you're not giving him. Yeah. But it was hard for her to grasp. And, you know, I think we kind of just 
told her because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> but it's something that it took us a long time to learn ourselves. So we kind of just passed on the information and we're not surprised when it didn't work. Yeah. I, uh, I remember early on in yours and my marriage, my, um, there was one night, I kind of, I think the kids might have, must have been around because my mum was over and she's like, where's, where's Grant? And I went, he's at Dungeons and Dragons. He's like, why aren't you there? And I went, <laughs> we do things separately. And she's like, why? You're married. And I'm like, yeah, but we, we have our own lives and our own identities. And like, I, I, I think it must have been when the kids were around, but you know, I think it's important to have distinct identities and distinct time to yourself, to your own thoughts, because, you know, I, I need to recharge. We both need to recharge and we recharge in different ways. And so dragging each other along to events because it's the way you do things is no longer a good enough excuse. I mean, that's universal now. We now know that just because it's the way it's done is not a good enough reason to do things. But mm. I think on obviously on a small relationship level, that's particularly important because it's how you stay happy, you know, it, by, by what's that Will and Grace quote? I am complete within myself. I don't like you, but you, you can, you may completely, I'm complete within myself or something like, sure. You, you know, you accompany each other, um, through life and we're partners and everything, but ultimately we're still different people with mm. different needs. And re- part of the partnership is respecting that. And sometimes that means just letting the other one go off and do their own thing for a bit, you know? Yeah. Sometimes I enjoy going shopping on my own. And that's... Because you Which hate is shopping. much more enjoyable than going shopping with me. Yeah, you hate shopping. And, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't force you to... Like, even, even when I, we need to buy you some new clothes, I'm like, hey, I need to know exactly which store I'm going to. <laughs> and it's a time it's, it only does this. I need to just be, not be so picking. Okay, that'll do. Moving on. Um, but that, I mean, that's the thing. I enjoy a, a good wander around a shopping center. Yeah. Kind and of much now. and ta- yeah, taking me would actually take away from your happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's... It, is actually the opposite of what you're trying to achieve by taking your partner places. And I think maybe when you're a parent, it's a bit easier because it's like, well, you know, we could load up four people to go to the shops or one person could just go to the shops. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it kind of just like, yeah, why would we take, like, drag three people who don't actually want to be there <laughs> just so one person can buy a pair of pants? So true. Um, yes, I'm terrible to go shopping with. <laughs> mm. No one should ever voluntarily go shopping with me. Yeah, you're, and you're you're like a little a little like teenager. like, oh, are we done yet? Can we go now? Are we sure but we got every shop? I think that I think that. So one of the things about my autistic traits is that it's not just shopping, but you probably experience in shopping that I kind of when I leave the house, I kind of need to kind of know what I'm doing. Mm. Like I remember another instance which had nothing to do with shopping. Where I went to the, like, to see my GP. And my GP was like, oh, you need some blood tests. Um, And I could have got the blood test at that point. But when I'd left the house, I hadn't mentally prepared to get blood tests. (laughs) So I went home. (laughs) I went went back to the same place to get the blood test a different day. But that's what I needed to do. Like, that was self-care. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think the same thing with um, shopping. Like, if you say... We're going to go shopping and buy you some jeans. And then we go there and we choose some jeans. And then you say, while we're here, we're going to buy you a shirt. 
well, while we're here, we're going to buy you a black pair of jeans. Because yeah. <laughs> I decided you need a black pair of jeans. In my mind, it's like, I did not leave the house planning to get a shirt. Or I did not leave the house planning to get black jeans. <laughs> and yeah, it really it is this problem with... And, you know, I, I accept that about myself. I know that that's how I am. And you've learned that that's how I am. Yeah. That I kind of, yeah, I go when I go somewhere. And I was probably the same when I went out for, like, a night on the town. Mm. If I thought I was going to one place, then I would be like, okay, I'm going to this one place. And then if someone's like, let's go to another place, I'd be like, no, I have not mentally prepared for this. <laughs> I am instead of going home. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's like I have to go back to home base to once again mentally prepare. Hmm. Yes, that is very autistic of you. Yeah. Um, so lately, uh, Matt and Jake have been fighting a lot over, um, over Roblox or more importantly, the idea of fairness. And there are some days I kind of wonder whether or not they'd be better, whether it would actually be in their benefit to, in those moments, be separated and just to say, go be by yourselves for a bit, stop interacting with each other, and then you can come back and be friends again. Yeah. But I think that forced isolation just doesn't work like it works as a punishment (laughs) Mm. which i've done before like they're fighting like i've done this for probably years but they'd be just like you are not allowed in the same room as each other for a few hours which partially was to give myself a mental break but also give themselves them a break from each other and one of the things with covid is that that sort of them being together and needing a break from each other used to kind of be an issue towards the end of, like, school holidays and stuff, and then they'd go off, like, after prep, they'd go off and they'd have their own classrooms. Mm. And they'd get together and be friends at recess and lunchtime, but they'd be in separate classes, which was our choice from grade one onwards. I'm not sure if we mentioned that. But now with remote learning and COVID, and uh, we, we, as a family, went to isolation while we waited for a COVID test result, which wiped out the last week of... Last term and the first week of this term, which we're currently recording during, has been just cancelled by the Victorian government. So they've been home with each other for, this is the fourth week in a row, like in the middle of the year, which, you know, normally doesn't happen except in the summer holidays. So they're spending a lot of time together. Mm. And we're going to go into remote learning for, I think, four weeks. So that will be eight weeks they're basically going to be together every day. And sometimes they just need breaks from each other. But they don't know how to do that or coordinate that. I think maybe every now and then one of them will know they want a break from the other one. But the other one won't cope with it. So that gets difficult. Sometimes we can juggle it between us. Like just sort of have one with each of us. But they, yeah, they don't choose to go off by themselves, I guess, in a coordinated and accepted way. Mm. And part of that, though, again, if, if we're looking at the contrasting aspects of autism, part of that is I wonder whether they're just used to each other. Like, I wonder whether an only child with autism would become accustomed to being on their own, whereas two children with autism who are twins are just more... They're more comfortable with what they're familiar with, which is, you know, them being near each other or interacting with each other, than they are with the idea of being separated, even if it is for their own good. Yes, Though I think if there was only one of them, they'd probably be very reliant on spending time with me. So that might create its own issues. Maybe. Which which would be kind of unfortunate because I think you've cultivated this very distinct identity of being the emotionally present dad, but the 
like hobbies distant dad. <laughs> so that you know, you've always been very big on the kids being independent and developing skills of self care, but part of it is also the ability to entertain themselves and, yeah. and keep themselves occupied without you having to directly interact. And you know, I guess it depends on what standard of parenting you hold yourself to because what you're doing, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. It makes sense. You're still there for them. Mm. If they need you for anything essential, emotional, you are the first person they go to and they know that. But, you know, on a on an activity basis, if there was only one of them that you had to interact with, you had to interact with 24-7, I think you probably would lose any, any semblance of alone time you might have needed or wanted. Probably. Like, it, it would have been... Yeah, it would have been very difficult. Like, I would have had to create a very strict environment of having a lunch time. Like, I know some people do. Like, they have, like, a hobby room the kids aren't allowed into, and they have the sign, like, if no one's bleeding, don't knock. Yeah, <laughs> the den, the man cave. Well, this, this was a mother in this instance. Yeah. Like, it was her sewing room. Mm. Uh, so it's not a male-only trait. But, yeah, I think that it would have it would have been different. I don't know what it would have been like. Obviously, you were an only child who had autism, and you kind of your best friend was the television. Yeah, pretty much. And my I had absentee parents not not because they were neglectful, because they were working. Like they were working twelve hours a day, five days a week, and then like an eight hour day on a Saturday. Yes, yeah, so they they were working. But even when your dad stopped working, I think he didn't interact with you to the same level that we interact with the boys. Oh, yeah, no way. I'm, I, I'm 99% certain my dad had his own issues that we that the family never discussed because we were good Vietnamese Catholic people. But the thing is, I think if we had only one child with autism, it would be possible to set up a situation where they would be self-sufficient. I might not have had the foresight to do that. Mm. <laughs> and it may depend on which of them was our only child. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Because, um, like, Jake's not even coping with me not being able to go on school grounds or and is having a lot more trouble going to play dates and stuff. Mm. Um, and always had more trouble going to parties. Yeah. So it, it does really depend on which of them it was. I think, I don't know. Like, I know that when I was young, we just played with the kids in the street. Like, I don't know, maybe if there wasn't two of them, they would actually play with kids in the street. Like, we had a situation where we're on holidays at a holiday house and a kid turned up as like, oh, can these kids play? Like, like they did, they hadn't met this kid. This kid was just like, there is other children. I am alone. Mm. Will these children play with me? So if there wasn't two of them, maybe they would have made friends with kids in the street. I'm not sure at the time whether there was kids in the street because we used to have quite an age population, but now we do have kids that, they're, uh, that are their age mm. um, around. So maybe they would have found them or I would have found them for them or you know maybe stay at home mums in the you know street and me would have coordinated around like with the desperate housewives and drunk <laughs> cocktails on our porches I don't know. but let's remember with with our autism or autistic traits you know starting a social interaction with a complete stranger off the only basis that our children are roughly the same age is difficult and maybe a spurious reason to be in a relationship for you i've been doing it for about five years now well no school's different though i think school well, like mother's group like mother's group yeah and, and, ha- and kindergarten. how many other than like one and the you know how many friends have you actually maintained since mother's group well yeah but it's, i don't have to maintain them i make them yeah and they serve the purpose for the time mm. so i guess if there was 
like other stay-at-home mums in the street and we're all going crazy with our like one child each (laughs) (laughs) we could have bonded and then you know if one of them goes back to work we might not see that one as much but then, you know, our kids might go to the kinder together, you know, all sorts of things. And, like, I, I'd maintained a friendship with a kinder parent who became a school parent. Um, and we've been friends for, like, half the kid's life now. Mm. Uh, so it is possible. It's just, yeah, like, geography and whether you're doing similar activities do have some effect. And so this, just to, you know, finish up here, I mean, this comes back to the idea of loneliness. So there is a distinction between being lonely, being alone versus being lonely. And I guess, you know, obviously you recognize it in the situation where if you were the only, if you were the parent of an only child, you might have actually gone out of your way to seek out more people. Yeah, it's possible. But yeah, I did have, like, I did have my parents group when I was Mm. early on. So maybe that met that aspect. Yeah. See, I there was a period a few years ago where I was feeling really socially isolated. I think I was pretty miserable in my job, as I was for a number of years. And I, I just wasn't seeing that many people. And, I, and that's how I started my trivia group. I just connected, put up something on Facebook and grabbed a random collection of people who I used to do trivia with and some family members and friends of friends. And it all ended up being really valuable because now I have a really, you know, uh, consistent group of friends who I see on a regular basis. And that's really important to me, you know. And being, when when restrictions were eased and I was able to go to one of their houses to hang out, I mean, there's, there is this distinct atmosphere that comes with being in the presence of someone, which is very different from just the Zoom meeting. So I think that, it is important to have some degree of socialization for everyone, but it's a but everyone's the amount that everyone needs will vary, and even well, from person to person and from day to day. And it's just about finding the right mix. Yeah, but six months ago, if someone had asked you, you probably wouldn't have said you need this level of socialization that you've discovered you need. Oh hell no, no! At that six months ago, would have been like, no, leave me alone. I don't need more people in my life. Just go away. Yeah. So sometimes we don't even know. Yeah. Um, until we discover it through circumstances like a once in a hundred year pandemic. Mm. Or you, you realize that you've been wasting what social energy you have on people you don't like. And Mm. so you have to spend all this energy trying to get along with them. And you're like, why can't I just be around people I enjoy being around? And yeah, you have, you learn to prioritize as part of job satisfaction. The social element is just as important. Yes. So yeah, I think. Being professional can be quite draining. So that probably... Yeah, if you work with people you actually enjoy spending time with and you're not, you know, faking it for your boss, it probably is easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we'll leave it there. Yes. Thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed what we've been providing. Make sure you connect with us at The Atypical Rainbow on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to shoot us a message if you have some ideas about topics or any questions about us. Uh, and we look forward to your patronage next time. Thanks very much.